I swear to God, it's like the neighborhood knows the moment I'm set to record because that's when everyone comes out to mow their lawns. It's really great. Hi there. How many cups of coffee have you had today so far? I'm on my second, but it's a very big cup. I love coffee. I can't help it. And I mean, of all the vices, it feels like one of the least lesser destructive, right? Yeah. Anyway, this is not a podcast about coffee or vices. It's a podcast about DNA discoveries. If you've ever taken a mail-in DNA kit, you'd know that you should not drink coffee or anything else for 30 minutes before you fill that tube with spit. But that's not really what this podcast is about either. We're talking about the results, the results that shock you to your core about who you are, where you came from, who one or even both of your parents are. This is the world of donor conception, late discovery adoption, and what I identify with personally, which is called a non-parental event or an NPE for short. We're such a new population of folks. There's little research and no guidebook, but adoptees have walked the identity exploration path before us. So we also look to them for a lot of advice. Turns out there are a lot of us and our population is growing all the time because these tests are, if you haven't noticed, readily available at your local drugstore. Finding people is easier than ever thanks to your local uh, local Facebook and minds are blown. At least my mind was blown, which is why I started this podcast. Maybe your mind was blown, which is why you are listening. Maybe someone you love's mind was blown and you're listening to try and understand their experience better. Whatever your reason, I'm glad you're here. Welcome. This is Everything's Relative and I'm Eve Sturgis. Today, I'm talking with Freya Lyon, a gem of a human who lives across the pond in England. She is a parent to two small children, not unlike me, so it should surprise no one that it took us a few attempts to connect to finally get to talk. I'm so glad that we did. Freya is a unique voice in the community because she is donor-conceived, always knew she was donor-conceived, but also she's used a donor to create her own family. She is on Instagram as Unicorn DCP. And anyway, we had a nice little chat about her experience and how things are a little bit different in the UK. Anyway, I'll let her explain. Thanks for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay. All right, Freya. Freya Lyon. <laughs> Where are you in England? In the UK? I don't even know what it's called. Uh, we're kind of near Manchester. Okay. okay. Manchester. Did you grow up there? No, I grew up in Brighton. So right down the very far south of, of England. Um, okay. But my wife is from up north. So we moved up about eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I've sadly lost my southern accent 
a bit. Oh, <laughs> <a> shame. <laughs> you can go get it back. Yeah, I try whenever we visit. Whenever we visit. <laughs> <laughs> so you, so you are somewhat unique in that, mm-hmm. or like, or at least I guess I should say, like, you are unique to me in my experience in these communities yeah. because I've talked with lots and lots of donor-conceived people, and there's all sorts of discussion happening about the way that donor conception is treated, mm-hmm. especially in the United States. Mm-hmm. And the way uh, that that the main the main art you know sort of topic of argument is whether donors can or should be anonymous and mm-hmm. what rights donor conceived people have once they become adults as far yeah. as access to medical records especially. Um, and but what I had not thought about was how donor conceived people once they become adults might be navigating their own family building experience right and so you come from this somewhat unique dynamic of having been donor conceived you are a donor conceived person and then Mm -hmm. you chose to use donor a donor yeah right to like i don't know (laughs) i don't know how to say that like eloquently you you then you then donor can you are a donor conceived person who used donor conception yes so and so for you so i'm i'm saying that that's unique for me in the in the podcast are you fi- you are finding that that is unique out in the community it's unusual i guess so um i've come across a few other people that are the same as me so we kind of we've called ourselves like dual citizens so we kind of have a foot in each boat um and there's definitely people that are similar story to me but not many of them are donor conceived through with queer parents and then are also queer parents themselves it can be a mix of the two quite a lot of the time but I've only come across like two others that have been the same as me and that's with us kind of trying to make a group that's like worldwide so it's it is definitely unusual um yeah not unique because I've come across others obviously and and we exist but it's not talked about as much either so trying to find other people like me is quite hard you have found yourself in a lot of conversations with the donor conception community mm-hmm. um, yeah. and, and found yourself, it seem, seems like it's kind of a voice of this particular situation because you have both a foot in both. Yeah. Worlds, yeah? yeah. Yeah. And so what's, tell me, tell me about that. What's that been like? In some ways it's, it's been great because I've been able to see from both perspectives, um, which has been very handy in a lot of conversations. Um, however, I've, I think the downside of being like a dual citizen is you can end up actually not feeling like you're in either camp kind of um, because the sort of the overall donor conceived voice can sometimes be sort of in the nicest way, quite anti donor conception in general. Obviously there are a ton of issues with it. So I can see where that comes from. And there's often the voice of, of people that have found out as adults and it's not been through the nicest ways or there's been a lot of issues with how they were conceived. And and so there's sort of a voice there that I'm not I don't necessarily follow. I don't feel the same as because I've used donor conception myself. So it can be I can feel like I'm not really a part of that. But then because I've I'm using donor conception. So I'm then in other groups that are like parents that have used donor conception. And that's brilliant. But it can then feel like I'm not really even a part of them anymore because they can sort of see me a little bit as 
someone that might not agree with their choices because that's what they've come up against before. So there's sort of a conception when they first see me that I'm going to be, I, I don't know, I'm going to lecture them or I'm going to tell them that's not how they should have done it when I'm, in reality I'm there as a parent. I'm not there with my kind of donor conceived person hat on when I'm there. But it ends up feeling like I don't really belong in either camp sometimes, which can be um, which can be a strange feeling, really. Yeah, it sounds isolating. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, so speaking of your own donor conception experience uh, as a donor conceived person, what what is the story that you tell people? So um, my parents, I've got two mums and they met in the 90s um, in England and they wanted a family. So my biological mum she went to um a fertility clinic as a single mum is how she kind of presented herself because it was difficult to do that as a, a couple in those days um and not really legal it wouldn't they wouldn't have both been on my birth certificate or anything um and she conceived me and four years later my sister using um, an anonymous sperm donor at a clinic um my parents then separated when I was eight, but um, but still was very close with both of them. And I was always told it was an anonymous donor, but that I could have contact with my half siblings when I turned 18. Um, and at 16, I got a letter from the HFEA, which is the Human Fertilization Embryology Association. So I think I've said it enough times. Myself. That really doesn't roll off the tongue. It doesn't roll off the tongue at all. But they, they are the people in the UK that navigate everything to do with um, using donors. Um, and they sent me a letter when I turned 16 and said, this is a kind of breakdown of your half siblings. So it just literally was the genders and the year they were born. Um, so I knew I had 13 um, half siblings um I was one of the oldest my sister was the youngest so we were kind of bookends um and I signed up to be on the donor sibling registry so when I turned 18 they would um connect me with anyone else that also wanted to be in contact so I signed up at 18 but as I said I was one of the oldest so no one else had signed up when I did oh right because <laughs> no one else yeah, was 18 was a bit yet, rubbish. Right? I got all excited and I signed up and then um, nobody did. And then I had to wait for a few years and then started getting connected with half siblings um, in dribs and drabs. Um, so in total, I'm connected with uh, five of my half siblings um, and we get on really well. And we've um, I've met all of them bar one, two, sorry. Um, but we're in text contact and um and we're trying to organize a group meetup at some point, and I hope I find the rest of them eventually. Um, but yeah, then when I um turned 26, um, I just turned 26 and I was I'd just given birth to my first child, she was uh three weeks old. I then managed to connect with my anonymous sperm donor um via a genealogy site, um, completely out of the blue. So yeah. So that was a surprise. Yes, I mean, I'd I'd done all of those kind of um, my heritage kits. Uh, I think my heritage is a UK one, but you know, like ancestry and stuff like that. Um, mainly for fun, I hadn't been that kind of. I wasn't really looking for anyone. I actually genuinely just wanted to know what my background was. I then got a connection with somebody that was like a second cousin, so it's probably one of the closest I'd really had. Um, and he was dead into his 
tree so he was trying to find out how we were linked and I said well I didn't really know because I don't know half of my background so he told me to put all of my results onto something called GED match mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and then I didn't really know anything about it never heard of it but um that flagged up a lot more connections and he was like oh you've connected to someone that's actually um closer than I am as a relative but not related to him so he just kind of told me how to deal with it and then left me to it um and I sent this person an email just again saying I'm just curious I was just been looking at my family tree and she replied saying oh I think I know who your dad is and then vanished (laughs) um she literally (laughs) just replied with that and I was like great but I was heavily pregnant at the time so I I forgot about that really I Mm -hmm. kind of thought she was probably bullshitting because she was in America so I was like you're not gonna know who my dad is that's gonna be a weird connection if it was um (laughs) So I left it to it and then got this email in the middle of the night from her saying my hunch was correct. Um, She'd sent a a ancestry kit to this person that she had a hunch was my donor um, and he was. And so she just CC'd us into an email together and and said, here you go. So, yeah, it was it really was out of the blue in that sense. I was not in any way expecting that to come back. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Wow. And so are you still connected with your, with your, your donor? Yeah, your... So that was about three years ago. Um, mm-hmm. and we now try and have phone calls every few weeks. Um, we've met up a handful of times. He lives down South as well. So it's sort of been when we can, um, he came to my daughter's birthday party, which was really sweet. Um, and yeah, he's made a real effort with all of us siblings so far. Like he's, He's wanted to be a part of our lives, but he's not been intrusive about it. It's been really nice. So hmm. that option there. Um, and yeah, we've just kind of navigated it together. He had no clue what he was doing in the beginning. And the first thing he said in an email was he wasn't expecting to have a daughter. And I was like, what did you think was going to happen when you were <laughs> donating sperm? But OK. Well, I think that's really common. Yeah. With yeah. Do- with donors. They're not. Um bizarre to me because mm-hmm. I, I don't know I mean I'm the kind of person that would have thought about it um but he he'd done it as a way of making a bit of extra cash when he was skint and he just graduated and and so he really hadn't given it any thought um and then suddenly he was I think he was shocked that there was me and my full sister um when I sent the email and then I said oh we found two half siblings at this point and he was shocked that there were four of us and I had to <laughs> find <laughs> <it was> actually <laughs> actually 15 of us sorry buckle Um, up (laughs) yeah so I mean thankfully since then he's been along for the ride every time we've met a new half sibling which I think has made it easier um but every time we meet a new half sibling it's more so every time we're kind of saying hello now there's six of us and our donor that you weren't expecting hello (laughs) (laughs) so it's yeah I feel sorry for all the new siblings joining it's a bit we were the original and even that was a lot but it's yeah it's an ambush I feel every time (laughs) Mm-hmm. do you feel like um I've never thought about this but he was used quite often did you feel like his like do you know that his was his description like especially attractive that so women <laughs> women were like oh this one <laughs> well these the description was very sparse I mean right. my mom was literally told athletic brown hair green eyes and he was quite tall and that was kind of it um mm. and she she just picked him kind of I think oh they'd given the detail that he was a street performer he was a musician and both my parents were classical musicians so they really liked this kind of link and so that was a big reason they chose him 
And when I mentioned that to him when we met, um, he said, "Oh, I've, I've never been a street performer." No, he doesn't play. that was my mm-hmm. next question. Was that uh, yeah. true? Yeah. So um, he had donated with um, at the same time as his flatmate. They both needed a bit of extra cash, so they went together. And his flatmate had been a street performer, so they think that the clinic had just mixed up this detail mm-hmm. because it was just it wasn't written down that he was a street performer. It was just some the doctor saying it um and they'd mixed it up it was so yeah thankfully um my parents didn't seem to mind when I told them that but but really bizarre um but he did say he was really liked by the clinic so they called him back a lot um whereas his flatmate was never used um (laughs) so um yeah so he was apparently a a favored a donor Mm -hmm. but yeah yeah I think well I feel like when you said brown hair and green eyes I was like, oh, there we go. That's what it is. That's often, yeah. a, that's yeah. often a lovely combination aesthetically. It is a nice combo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. Um, and it, it's interesting because both of my girls have ended up with dark hair and blue eyes, obviously a generation down, but I'm dark hair, dark eyes. I'm exactly the same as my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, but somehow my eldest has got green eyes, which has only come from my donor. <laughs> it's not really. Oh, wow. Else, but, um, uh-huh. But it's it's nice to kind of see those things trickle down a bit. Do you feel like having a positive experience with your donor influenced how your own choice to use a donor? Yeah, in the sense that I always knew it was going to be a part of my story. Um, I knew I wanted to have kids very much so. Um, and when I ended up with a woman and, and we got married, we knew that was probably going to be the way we were going to be doing it. Um, and because of... The, the positive story with my parents we kind of didn't need to think about it too hard I feel it was it was just a kind of given um and and she never we never sort of went down the route of looking at things like reciprocal IVF because my wife saw how close I am to my non-biological mom she said I don't feel the need for us to do something where I'm kind of even more connected um she just didn't worry I guess because she knew that i I'd never felt like I wasn't connected to her. Um, So that definitely helped a lot. Are any of your other siblings considering using a donor? Well, um, my, one of my half sisters is gay um, and her and her wife um, have talked about the fact that they want children in the future. But um, she said when they look at the concept of doing it, they would probably use someone they knew. So they probably use a known donor. Um, so slightly different to me. But um, but that was mainly because her wife is um mixed race. So they it to, to use um a mixed race donor in the UK, there's not many. Um, there's not many black donors. Um, and she said rather than feel limited to have to pick kind of one person, they'd rather try and find somebody um rather than go for looks match, go for kind of compatibility elsewhere. Um mm-hmm. But but yeah, I mean, my sister as well is is gay. Um, there's, there's a lot of us. Um, one of my half brothers is gay as well. We we're winning. Um, but <laughs> she she similarly has kind of said she wants to use an own donor. Um, but my whole my full sister has got a very different approach to donor conception than I do. Um, she's got no interest in meeting our donor. She's never spoken to him. A one conversation I think via email. Um, she's met our half siblings once. Doesn't have a relationship with them um she just doesn't view it as being particularly important to her which is fair enough um 
but it's strange not sharing that journey with her. We've we've gone about it in totally different ways, um, which has been weird. <laughs> yeah, I think it seems like you're like the third. You're not the first person that has told me that that where where there's one of sibling of of full siblings, one is um one is more enthusiastic about the donor con- yeah, conception journey. Than than yeah, it's yeah. yeah. I, you feel like I just interviewed somebody who had that. I yeah. It seems like I wonder what that's My about. My siblings have been the same. Yeah, like in, oh. in the pair because we've got a few sibling pairs. Um, it's been one person that's been initiating the contact and, and the messages and the other person a little bit reluctant. Um, it's interesting. Uh, it's not even an older sibling thing, I don't think. <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, I don't know whether she kind of, I had all the interest so she didn't feel like she needed to because I was doing the work as such. I was kind of doing the messages and the the, the curiosity and meeting up first so she could kind of just pick and choose whether she wanted to to be involved really right yeah that's so interesting i wonder i wonder if there's a a pattern there we could study um yeah and for you and for you and your sister growing up as as donor conceived people um what Mm. was your it sounds like your your moms were very open about it and was that something that you navigated um was it i guess i want to say like gracefully but i mean was that easy for you or so when I was quite small, we moved from London, where we were born, to Brighton. And Brighton is very, um, it's like the gay capital of the UK. Okay. Um, so it's very diverse. Good to know. Yeah, it's very, it's a lovely place to grow up. It's very welcoming. Um, so in that sense, I didn't really experience anything weird growing up because it was just my family. And then my parents found like a rainbow families group that we went to every weekend and did all these meetups. So I was surrounded by people who had two moms and used a donor or were adopted or stuff like that. So I was surrounded by unconventional family arrangements. Um, So I never really found mine strange. Um, It was, it's as I got older, there were sort of the questions of like, where's your dad and stuff like that. But I was so casual in it because my parents are so casual in it they'd never been like a big conversation about it they'd just raise me knowing it anyway um so I was pretty casual about my answers I was just like oh my parents used a donor so he's not really my dad he's just a donor um I probably won't meet him so you know and I was quite kind of I didn't mind talking about it at all um kind of felt if I could educate somebody then maybe they'd be a bit more in the know when they met the next person um so yeah, I was always very, very open about it growing up, and and I didn't really experience anyone being strange about it. I think because I didn't make it a thing, so it, they didn't really have anything to cling to to make it weird. <laughs> it was just a kind of yeah, that's just how I'm made, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, confidence, confidence can really navigate an experience. <laughs> Definitely, yeah, and I don't think my parents did anything big to do that. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of talked to my non-biological mom about it and said like do you remember having to think about those conversations and she was like no we just talked about it she was like just it was just normal you know like she was like you knew that you didn't have a dad on the scene so we just talked about the fact that you've got a a mom and a gaggy because that's what I called it that's my first word mm-hmm. um so she was like you just you had a mommy and a gaggy and that was you and and it was yeah father's day was never weird either people kind of said oh that must have been strange and I was like no I used to I actually made gaggy a card on father's day um 
because my parents didn't really share Mother's Day because I never saw Gaggy as a mum as such. Mm-hmm. She was mm-hmm. my Gaggy, but there wasn't a day for that. So um, <laughs> so I would use Father's Day for her and that was kind of just suited us, really. But, yeah. Yeah, and you just made whatever work. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Did any out of your of your 13 siblings that you have mm. found, was anybody surprised to discover they were donor conceived or had everybody had a positive experience growing up? So not everyone had had a positive experience, but everyone knew by the time they met me, there was so four of them I met through the donor sibling link. So um, it was quite formal in the sense that we were both asked if we wanted to be in contact. We both then agreed to share our details. Um, so that was all quite formal. And I knew obviously that they must know they were donor conceived. But one of them. <laughs> By the time I you're on the donor sibling registry, you have to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you got some idea. Um, but the last one, I met him through a link, uh, through a match, sorry, on Ancestry, um, totally out of the blue. And it was the first sibling match I'd ever had on there. Um, and I did not know how to navigate that at all. Um, I was the only one of my siblings on Ancestry. So I had to do the messages um and I didn't know if he knew he was donor conceived so I didn't know how to go about the conversation I was like I could blow his world up if he doesn't know but both of us were messaging quite kind of cautiously and then suddenly he was like oh yeah well I knew that because I'm donor conceived and I went oh for god's sake (laughs) it made that a lot easier but I think he didn't know if I knew either so both of us being really kind of cautious about it um so yeah I think I'll probably be like that every time we have a match in the future um because i feel like odds are there will be someone that doesn't know mm-hmm. out of 15 of us but the others it's been that none of them were told at birth um oh no sorry the last one was but the other four weren't they found out when they were a bit older so um and they had two of them had a heterosexual family and never knew that their dad wasn't biologically their dad um until they were teenagers so that was a much different story mm-hmm. um, and carries sort of all different kinds of baggage with it. I think when you're then trying to navigate sibling relationships, because we're all coming into it with different feelings um, mm-hmm. and different views, really. Um, and I think that's why my my full sister doesn't really want much to do with it, because we lost our biological mum a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So she feels very loyal, I think, to her, um, even though I think that mum would have been utterly fascinated um she always said she was so keen for us to find our siblings um but I think there's just a sense in her that because we're not doing it with her she doesn't want to do it which is yeah well just it is what it is really right right and the, that's her own journey and you're writing you're still yeah. right you're still, <laughs> you're still writing I mean I, I have I'm a five month old so with all the time with all the time you have with your yeah two little children. I mean I love it but it's finding the time um sadly but I've still made it my mission that I will be published at some point in the future um even if I bloody do it and publish it <laughs> I will I and I like writing my story I really enjoy when I get to sit down and, and write a bit um because it it helps me see that all laid out really um and I hope that it might help others really um so it's enjoyable getting to to put it down on paper really and when you so do you have multiple writing projects like are you also is are you still writing working on unicorn yeah so unicorn's the main thing so tell me about that (laughs) um yeah so I mean I started writing just after my eldest daughter was born um because I just found my donor and I started thinking 
I needed to record this somewhere, my feelings and, and what I was going through. And it, but it started out as being a very um, informational book. Um, and then I'd lost the love for it, really, because it was becoming really statistical. And, and there are books out there already that do that. And I wasn't really wanting to do that. So I stopped for a bit and then went back to it and took much more of a biographical approach, really. Um, and suddenly loved it and was sending snippets to friends that had sort of never known about how that first meeting went with my donor or conversations with my siblings or us picking a donor and things like that. And it was it suddenly became sort of a much more of a love project for me that I was I was getting to to make it into something. Um, and then it's died down a bit because I've had another baby and everything's <laughs> got really hectic. But um mm-hmm it sits there in the back of my head and I'll sometimes be sat doing a night feed and I'll get my notes out and I'll start writing a little bit to, to put in it. So it's always there in the back of my head <laughs> mm-hmm. and I've written about three quarters of it in total. So I'm getting there. <laughs> yeah. You're getting there. I wrote a whole book proposal during night feeds like, yeah. a few years ago. <laughs> like there's something to be said about yeah, I've got yeah, proposals that I've written mm-hmm. and I took a time lapse of myself with um, my youngest in the carrier mm-hmm. when she was about three weeks old and I came across a literary agent that I loved the look of. And so I wrote an entire book proposal, stood at the counter doing this the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> so I was rocking back and forth. Um, so yeah, I'll fit it around it just about, but um, yeah, it's it's sadly taken a bit of a back burner. Sure, yeah. sure. It will come back though. It, it will. will. Come back. They won't be so little forever no very true. right like I'm just yeah I feel like I'm just starting to climb out of that yeah. space where it's they're just everything like oh here I am here I am <laughs> a little bit you know yeah. um and so in the meantime though you just seem to be like participating in these conversations especially online and yeah. social media and lots of um different you're just kind of becoming, you're just I, like, a, do you call yourself an advocate? Do you call yourself a a speaker, a community member? Like, Yeah, I don't really know where I fall in that. I think advocate sits there, I guess. I feel like I'm an advocate, again, with a foot in both camps, really. Um, and I really enjoy getting to speak to people who have never considered the the kind of idea of being both or, or that sort of perspective, um, because there'll be people that are very heavily involved with either side. So rarely have they kind of done both bits. Um, and I work a lot with Haley, um, who's got an Instagram, the um, DCP journey to RP, I think. And she's brilliant. She does. Um, she's similar to me. She's donor conceived and she used a donor. Um, but she comes from the perspective of being an older donor conceived person before the records were kind of kept. So she doesn't have the same connection to the HFEA as I do. Um, and also she found out very different way that to me that she was donor conceived. But together we've done a lot of Instagram lives. We've done talks with both sides. So like LGBT parenting pages, because we're both in queer families. Um, we've both been admins for a parents via donor conception Facebook group where we've tried to kind of have like um, Q&As and things like that. Both of us spoken at an event in London um, about a year ago that was for people considering donor conception. So kind of doing a panel where they could people could ask questions um, and get those kind of thoughts out that they'd, they'd not really considered before starting that journey, which was really interesting. Um, but yeah, it's been 
a really fascinating journey that all started just purely because I thought I might start writing. Um, and then I've fallen into this kind of role that I love. It's it's brilliant being able to help people even in just answer one question that they've never been able to ask someone before is brilliant. So, yeah. Yeah, that's. I feel like the community must feel so lucky to have you. If they don't, they should. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, and it's interesting the way that sometimes like a way of life finds you. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like, you know, and it, it turns out, you know, it turns out you're good at talking about this particular topic and you have experience in both areas and you, and it, it's, it happens to be a time when the, the communication and technology about this stuff is sort of like increasing. So all of a sudden there's like a platform for this yeah and things are changing so much so like in the UK the fact that this year is the first year that people turning 18 can have the information of their donor for the first time which is so so cool but so uncharted um and no one knows what that's going to look like um and it's been brilliant to kind of get those conversations rolling before that suddenly happens and becomes um in the public with no real understanding so it's even trying to kind of get those people that have not thought about this before to think about it now so that these sort of the conversations are less scary and less taboo and and people that are meeting their donors for the first time and donors that are being contacted for the first time that people that are sharp, sort of find navigating this for the first time ever have somewhere to go to ask those questions and not feel totally um blindsided really so right so in england as of this year Mm -hmm. a a donor upon reaching 18 so i mean just explain that rule to me in 2005 they changed the laws in the uk so people that were donating um gametes um so they had to agree that when those people conceived via those gametes um turned 18 they would be given um their name and their last known address and their contact details so the idea of anonymity went and it's so since then it's been you have to use a donor that's open open 18 open id donor which is what we used for our girls so it's now a very different story you don't just get the kind of hair color eye color thing um you get a page of information about them um they write a letter at the end through the clinic it's it's a lot more with the knowledge that hopefully there will be that relationship in the future um however we've not seen that in action yet so it will be from it'll be very soon that those those people are going to start making those connections and they'll be turning 18 um because it was april 2005 so nine months after that yeah um yeah so you're right on the cusp yes literally on the cusp it will be it's all incredibly um unknown and the hfea i don't think is very prepared for it i think they have been trying to prepare for it but they it's going to be an influx of people needing them for example people have been putting the normal requests in asking to find out how many half siblings their children have or that they have and i put in a request over a year ago and i've never had a response um so they are they are run off their feet thankfully i my i just got the request through my clinic instead i went back to them and asked but it's it's definitely putting a they're putting all their resources into this because it's going to be big for them right that will be overwhelming that's interesting i didn't know about this Mm. um 
Right. So the okay. So the rule changed in 2005, but they're 18. They're all finishing up exams right now. What do they do in yeah. What are you doing when you're 17? A <laughs> levels. So right. you'll be doing okay. approaching your A levels, which is bizarre. I mean, obviously, it only works if these people know that they're donor conceived which will affect the numbers and that's where people are curious i think because mm -hmm. i know how many donor can see people there are but how many actually will be making those and people that might not be interested i might mm -hmm. not be reaching out mm -hmm. um so yeah it's it's i'm really very eager to see how everything changes because i think it will change the 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 way that we approach donor conception in this country will will change because people will suddenly realize that they're being given their name and there it will stop the the donors like my biological father who did it because he needed some extra cash it will hopefully put a stop to to people doing it like that um if it hasn't already it hopefully has but yeah it makes the donor conceive people more real i think yeah i mean it certainly like hopefully gives at the very least gives them gives a donor a moment to pause yes yeah. <laughs> like a moment to pause about what what it is they think they're doing mm, um, definitely yeah yeah so so if people want to you know sort of learn more about you and follow along and i saw that like on your instagram you do you have done like some amas ask me anythings and you also you share books that you have found really work for children and um in the in the donor conceived realm whether um hetero or um queer families mm -hmm. and um so is it all right if people follow you on Instagram? Can I send them Absolutely. your way? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Over Great. at Unicorn DCP. Unicorn DCP. And I'll have that on my, you know, I'll put it up on socials when the when the wow. episode airs. Is there anything else that you think that I should have asked you or you want to talk about as far as your role? I guess um, in terms of maybe approaching half siblings with my kids that's definitely been do done a little bit differently than my parents mm -hmm, did mm -hmm. oh yeah tell me about that yeah so so my parents were i mean we they were incredibly open about our conception um and i said about my mom my mom was so curious about our siblings she would she would often talk about that she was she, like a radio program came on in the car once and it was someone with a ton of siblings she was like oh that's you and and that's what you know you'll be navigating that at 18 um and so it was i totally knew that was going to be the case i knew well i hoped i was going to find all of them at 18 it didn't quite work like that um but it was it was something that we were going to wait for and then finding those siblings has been wonderful but navigating those relationships have been hard because we're all adults we've all come in in our 20s and we've got our own adult baggage and we've got our own sort of political views and and ways that our families are formed and and it's it's been very difficult to you have to put in the effort to carve out those relationships and it's felt really hard sometimes um and i at first thought that the way we do it with our children is that they could find their siblings at 18 like i did and i remember thinking oh well that's what i did and it's fine which i think a lot of parents have deep down kind of going well it worked for me so um but the more i thought about it and the more i remember talking to half siblings and thinking god this is it, it's difficult sometimes and I thought why am I making that difficult for my kids potentially too when the technology is different now we we have ways where if we want to find out their siblings we could if we wanted to and me and my wife spent a lot of time talking about how we would ideally do it and I think we agreed that we would 
put gentle feelers out there to see if anyone was searching for siblings that had used our donor. Um, and we found one um, who have got a little girl that's two months older than our eldest. So, and we connected kind of gently. We kind of said, like, we can message. It turns out they already followed me on Instagram, which was bizarre. And we didn't know. <laughs> really weird. <laughs> so it was more a kind of, we would occasionally send pictures saying, oh my God, don't they look like each other here? And and it was a really, it's been a very gentle way of saying we have a connection there. And the girls can decide that in the future if they want to be close, if they want to talk, if they want nothing to do with each other, that's totally fine. But I think I feel a lot more comfortable going about that because I had a realisation that they are more likely to resent me for not doing something and for them to have to, to put in all the work at 18 that's difficult than for me saying, here are some people you're related to, but you don't have to do anything with it. You can say no thanks. And then they're making that decision. And I think 18 is old now. Um, in terms of technology, 18 is old, as in people have social media from 13, 14. And the idea of kind of making it that they couldn't do something about it, it felt... <sighs> It felt like deliberately withholding, whereas my parents just didn't have the choice because that was what technology was like. Um, and yeah, it's felt like an evolution there a little bit, which has been interesting because I've had to accept a few things that I just thought I knew. Mm -hmm. Of course, I must know because I'm donor conceived and I must know everything. <laughs> um, and it's I've had to kind of go, actually, it's a different, we're navigating a different world, even though it's donor conception, it's not the same anymore. Um, because it's not there's no such thing as anonymity anymore as as your whole podcast has shown that's not right. something people can do anymore um people would love it if that was the case but it just isn't so yeah so do you know you're the donor of your babies now no so um, or who he is or thing, no we so we went through a clinic and we did an open id donor um we didn't have anyone in our life. We would have loved to have been able to use a known donor. That had always been something we talked about, but we had nobody in our life that fit that, really. But an, but an open ID doesn't mean that you have his information currently. No. So it means that it's open ID at 18. So you don't, you're not holding on to it for 18 no, years. No, no. That would be so hard. I don't mm -hmm. know. Yeah. Um, no, so it, we would be going through the discovery with them at 18, which I'm excited about, actually. I kind of hope they're interested because I wouldn't be able to do it if they weren't. But I hope they're interested because I'd love to be able to have a chat with him. I'd love to be able to thank him. Um, it would be great. So, yeah, I it's it's very interesting knowing that they will have very different um, opportunities than I did. And then I look at the lovely relationship I have with my donor now, and I really hope that they get to have that too. Um, I'm very hopeful that the guy will turn out to be similar and just want this kind of easygoing message when you want, visit when you can type thing. Um, and that's all I can wish for, really. We're so powerless over how mm. how it will go or how the person will respond. Or but so all Absolutely. you can do is is hope for the best. Yeah, so and prepare them. I think as best right. as you can. I think it's it's trying not to sugarcoat it and act like they will definitely get this reunion if that's what they want um, and trying to be realistic with them as much as possible. Um, I even practice it now when I talk about him with them, like kind of my eldest now will occasionally be like, she'll talk about the fact she's got blue eyes and I'll be like, yeah, you got that from your donor. That's not from me. Like I have no blue eyes um, and I love them and they're gorgeous. And, and won't it be interesting if you see that they might be like his, 
and it's that kind of I try and practice it because it's not going in now I don't think I don't think she has any real understanding of that um but I get to practice how I say mm-hmm. it now mm-hmm. before she's absorbing it um which is doing me a world of good I think <laughs> yeah oh that's so lovely that's so lovely thank you for spending some time with me well thank you for having me <laughs> in your eat your evening my morning yeah. um I'm so glad it finally worked out yeah we're too. both navigating some children children <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> we had to do a couple of reschedules um so I'm so glad it worked out I hope that we can connect again in the future please keep me posted about things all right have a good day bye thank you bye now there's chickens squawking can you hear the chickens anyway if you want to follow Freya and learn more about the conversations that she's having around donor conception in England and America, dare I say, in the world, follow her Instagram at unicorndcp. I really am so grateful to everyone who finds some time to spend with me. Extra special thanks to the parents of young children. I had to edit around it so that you didn't hear much of it, but while Freya and I were talking, there was a thunderstorm interrupting her and Freya's poor cat was coming in and out of the room and her children were jumping on the trampoline. Life was like really happening, you know? Anyway, I felt like I would really feel at home with Freya's home because that's how our life is too. Is your life chaotic or is your life calm and serene? Let me know in your review for this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. And hey, speaking of reviews, let's do a review of the week. Woohoo! Recently, someone named Lauren wrote, I really enjoy the podcast, but sometimes I find it difficult to follow and it jumps around in the person's story. I wish you would start from the beginning of their story and go from there. And hey, this is a great review because it offers constructive criticism and gives me insight about what people are thinking and feeling and doesn't attack my character. Hey, how else would I know that maybe I need to reconsider how I ask people to share their stories? Do you agree with Lauren? Do you disagree? Let me know. Leave a review. I really do read them, and I will continue to do so until there are thousands. Will this podcast be around that long? Stick around to find out. Or you can always send me a message on social media at Everything's Relative Podcast or contact me through the website, everythingsrelativepodcast.com. If you want to tell your story, hit me up. Hey, it would be super weird if I didn't mention that it was the 4th of July a few days ago. Uh, did you have a nice patriotic, patriarch, patriotic holiday here in America? Uh, we're still in my hometown, Petaluma. I'd say this town goes medium hard for America's birthday. I'm actually recording this on the morning of the 4th. Our plans later today include a pool party, finding some friends that know a good spot to watch the big city show later tonight, probably eat some hot dogs. And hey, um, America is a little bit weird these days. Maybe it's a lot weird. Maybe it's always been that way for you. Um, The Supreme Court has been making decisions lately that affect a lot of Americans in negative ways. If you're thinking about that today, I am with you. A lot about this country is great, and a lot about this country is not great. And it would be disingenuous of me to acknowledge, to not acknowledge the hard parts. If you've been listening to me a while, you probably know where I stand. 
So today I'll just say that I am hoping that we can one day be a nation that truly stands for liberty and justice for all people. Anyway, eat some, eat some, what do you eat on the 4th of July? Eat some noodle salad, (laughs) eat a hot dog, cheeseburgers. Uh, Don't light sparklers near any dry forests or gasoline puddles. I hope that you're finding any reason to celebrate your own existence today, American independence notwithstanding. I hope you know that I appreciate you. My name is Eve Sturgis. This is Everything's Relative Podcast. Bye-bye. Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis is produced by Eve Sturgis and Kaylin Egan and edited by Joy Rumel. Logo designed by Ivy McNally and music is used with permission from Goodbye the Band. Eve is a licensed psychotherapist, but her podcast episodes are not therapy sessions. 